Hi everyone, I'm Paloma Contreras and you're listening to another episode of the Style Files podcast. I'm so excited to welcome today's guest. She's someone whose style I have long admired and she's certainly a favorite follow on Instagram, Nam Dang Mitchell. Long featured in the pages of Canadian shelter magazines, Nam Dang Mitchell was named House and Homes Designer of the Year in 2019. The interior designer spaces strike a delicate balance between classic and edgy, merging disparate styles into a seamlessly chic and livable whole. Dang Mitchell often animates her neutral toned color palettes with layers of patterns and textures that keep even formal spaces warm and lively. Her keen eye for combining furniture, accessories, and fabrics from different styles and eras is especially evident in her ability to select distinctively modern furniture and lighting pieces that are full of personality but still harmonize with an interior's overall look. Dang Mitchell lives in Calgary, where she's recently expanded her practice to include a residential townhouse development. Nam, we're so happy that you could join us today. Thank you and welcome. Paloma. It's so nice to talk to you. Likewise. I know. I feel like I've known you forever, even though we've never actually met. (laughs) That's exactly how I feel. It's so strange. You know, I follow you on Instagram. I read your website. So I do feel like I know you. (laughs) Oh, isn't it funny how I feel like that's one of the most wonderful things about living in such a digital age. It makes the world feel a little bit more I don't know, I guess more connected and smaller. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, it's great to finally speak with you. Likewise. Well, I'm so excited to hear more about your design journey and how you ended up becoming to hear about some of the fun things that you're working on now. So let's just start at the top. How did you, (laughs) when did you realize that you were destined to be a designer? Is this something that you've always known? Were you always a creative child? Yes, it feels very natural. Um, It's sort of the only thing I can do, honestly. Um, But I was that kid who was always drawing, making collages, and pushing around furniture in my room and helping my mom rearrange everything. Um, So it feels completely natural. Um, I definitely knew it was going to be something in the visual arts. My degrees in photography uh, with a minor in art history. So yeah, it it just all made sense. Amazing. So at what point did you strike out and start your own design firm after your studies? Um, So after my studies, I actually went into graphic design and did that for uh, a few years. And then uh, a couple of architect friends and I uh, started a firm together, just sort of uh, innocently and and knowingly. And um, it, 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 it went well. And then um, I decided to strike out on my own um, after having a couple of babies um, and just working for myself. Did you feel like things came together fairly quickly once you started your business or did it take some time and some um, trial and error to figure out, you know, what you were doing and Oh, definitely, um, (laughs) definitely some trial and error. Um, But Honestly, at the end of the day, it's about being able to have a vision for something and then figuring out exactly how to implement it, how to execute it properly. Um, But yeah, there's definitely some figuring out in terms of the business side of it. Um, But 
the most important thing is is putting together a vision, I would um, say. Yeah, absolutely. That vision is so important and being able to execute upon that vision, I think is a mm-hmm. special skill. People don't always realize that it's more than just putting the design presentation together. The execution of that des- design presentation obviously takes a lot of skill and a lot of systems in place. Absolutely. I always tell people, you know, it feels like 10% of my time is putting that vision together and presenting it. And then the rest of the time on the project, 90% of it is making sure that it actually comes to life, that all those details are in place. So it's um, uh, people coming into this business should know that it's not just uh, it's not just inspiration and, and uh, beauty. It's, it's a lot of hard work and, and details. Absolutely. (laughs) It's so true. Well, speaking of beauty, you have such a beautiful aesthetic. Where did you grow up? And do you feel that your surroundings informed your aesthetic in any way? Um, Well, thank you very much. Um, I was born in Paris. um, But after my parents divorced, my mother moved us to uh, the middle of the prairies in Canada when I was about six. So I grew up here in Calgary. And has it informed? Yes, absolutely. How can, how can it not where you grow up? Um, I would say that if you are aesthetically inclined um, and you don't live in a style capital of the world, I think that your thirst for, um, for beauty, for inspiration is even greater. So I was always growing up, you know, buying every single magazine, every foreign magazine I could get my hands on just to feel connected and and uh, related to that world um and magazines for for kids today who don't know that was the only <laughs> way that we could get our sort of visual fix back in the day but of course now there's so many ways to to do that right definitely well it's it's interesting to hear that you were born in paris and spent your very early years there because i definitely see sort of a Parisian inspired vibe in a lot of your work. Oh, you do well, know work so beautifully. Oh, thank you very much. Um, I mean, it's hard for anyone who is um, in the visual world not to be inspired by Paris, honestly. But yes, it has, it has deep influences for me. I love um, things that are historically informed and, and in their essence, very classic. Um, but I would say that um, my Canadian side definitely has a, a big influence as well. I would say, um, you know, make something glamorous, make it beautiful um, and historically informed, but also equally important to me is that it be approachable and God forbid, not pretentious. Um, and I really think that's my, my prairie upbringing side for sure coming through. I love that. <laughs> well, your interiors are so elegant, mostly clean lines, with a sense of modernity, they also retain a sense of warmth. What is your style philosophy? Um, I think I'm an introvert by nature. So I like interiors that are pretty serene, pretty quiet. Um, and I just want rooms that beckon you to come in and relax and are inviting. Um, So the warmth is important. So it's about striking that balance uh, between all those elements. 
Absolutely. Well, you use color and pattern rather sparingly also. Do you Mm -hmm. prefer to have less visual noise in your own home? Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, I I feel like people like myself who um, don't use a lot of color, it's because we're so sensitive to color. Um, I read once that Tom Ford saying that he couldn't even sleep at night if he knew that there was a red pair of shoes in the house. (laughs) So (laughs) I feel like I relate to that completely. Um, But definitely you don't want to be, you know, when you have a limited palette um, and uh, quieter rooms, you don't want it to be boring. So you really are reliant on textures and more interesting juxtapositions of forms and of furnishings and artwork. So you have to work harder in, in those areas for sure. How can those listening achieve interiors that are as layered and interesting as yours without using a lot of color or pattern if they don't have a hand quite as deft as yours? Um, I would start with the walls. You know, there's, um, again, with the texture, if your walls can have something interesting going on, then you don't need a ton happening um, in with patterns and, and stuff in the furnishings. Um, so, you know, grass cloth is a simple way of adding some depth and texture. Um, I, I love paneling as, as do you, and it just adds so much um, depth and things contrast so beautifully against paneling. Um, and then I would say, you know, whatever the direction of that you're taking with your room, like overall, if it's quite traditional, say, then put in one piece that has some uh, contrast or audacity to it. So if you have very classic furniture, maybe add like a coffee table from the 70s that has just a little edge to it and is something unexpected with the other pieces that's going to create some interest in your room and some tension. That's really cool. I love that word. I I use that a lot and describe the best rooms as the ones that have a little bit of tension. You want items, pieces that feel somewhat disparate Mm -hmm. because that juxtaposition between something very traditional with a graphic piece of modern art or a really cool modern chair next to an antique buffet or commode, I think makes the pieces in the room gel together so much better and the overall Absolutely. result is so much more interesting and layered. Absolutely. And it makes each piece sing because there's something to contrast it to. Um, so you appreciate each piece for its own different unique qualities. Um, yeah, I couldn't agree more with you. That's so true. So your firm recently moved into a new office at the beginning of the year, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So tell us about that. Um, uh, well, <laughs> Well, one thing that uh, your listeners might not know about my firm, and I say firm in quotes, is that it's just really me. You're talking to my whole entire firm. Oh, <laughs> right really? Now. Yes. So I've always, no. So I've always, always just done everything on my own. And um, I did move into fancy pants, new office spaces. But truth be told, um, the office space is mostly my husband's company, and okay. I have a nice big office in there and we share, you know, all the, the kitchen and workspaces and boardrooms and reception and stuff. So I'm, I get to enjoy uh, nice offices, but it's, it's really just me as it has always been. <laughs> unbelievable. I, okay. So now I have to add another description to your introduction and call you a superwoman <laughs> because I see the scale of the projects that you're working on. And to think that you're doing that all by yourself is unbelievable. 
well, unbelievable or, or just plain stupid is <laughs> another another way of describing it. But I, I'm such a control freak, Paloma, yeah. that I can't seem to hand it off to um, anyone else. And so if you are hiring me, I do everything, including, you know, climbing on your shelves and, and uh, you know, putting all the books in and vacuuming. I do, I do it all. So um, it's not a formula for building a business at all. Um, but I think you have to create a life that, that works for you. And for me, I would rather do fewer jobs and do them how I want to do them rather than have a big machine to feed mm -hmm. in terms of a firm and, and, and do, you know, 20 renovations that I'm not that passionate about. So it's, it's, um, there are sacrifices for sure, but um, it, it's what I'm personally comfortable with. Well, and I think that that's a really important message also is understanding when you're starting a business, understanding what your goals are ultimately and mm -hmm. not losing sight of that vision. Because once you do start bringing on help and you have additional overhead, it's very tempting to take on projects that aren't always the right fit. Or maybe they tick right. you know, two out of the three boxes and you sacrifice that third because you just need to keep revenue coming in in order to pay yes. your staff and your rent and everything else. And then you end up in a situation with a project or client that isn't the right fit. So right. it's hard to know. I mean, it's hard to, to know the right path to take. And I think it's mm -hmm. really specific and individual to each person listening. Um, but I, I love hearing that you've chosen to keep things purposely tight lean. and small. Yeah. <laughs> yes, lean for sure. Um, I have. And honestly, when I get, uh, I do hire on help uh, per project if I need it. Um, like if I need extra drafting help or, you know, rendering help or anything like that, I will, I will, you know, seek that sure. uh, counseling. But um, yeah, otherwise, it's just it's just me and the client and the clients like it because I'm it's they're always dealing with me directly. Right? No, it's true. I mean, ultimately, that's, that's, I think what people end up struggling with is when they bring on additional people and they take on more projects, they can't always be the ones to be there at every single client meeting. Mm -hmm. um, but that, that in the end is what our clients truly want is they want that personal time with you because they hired you for your vision. Exactly. Exactly. And I have to say, I, I have met other designers who have done brilliant, brilliant job at mentoring and bringing along, um, you know, uh, assistants and other young designers so that they really, can express the values and the aesthetic of, of the designer. Um, I have just not done that yet. Um, maybe it's something down the road, but uh, I'm not sure. I can give up that much control. How long have you had your studio now? Um, where I've just been on my own. Uh, gosh, 15, like almost 17 years now. Wow. That's amazing. Well, congratulations first and foremost. And secondly, I don't, I don't know if you're going to, if you're going to want to bring people on at this point, because you've been doing I know, it your way like for too so late. long. <laughs> I can, I can certainly relate being a type A personality. And I do think that that's 
fairly common in our business to be Mm -hmm. really particular about the way that you want things executed. I mean, that's sort of our job is to be exacting in the details. Um, It can be difficult to relinquish any sort of control. And I, like you, Mm -hmm. you know, I do have a team or a small team. I have two full-time people and um, our bookkeeper and, you know, our girls are really involved. They do, you know, all of the, um, the renderings and elevations and the CAD work and all of that with mm-hmm. me, but I still maintain control over the design vision and all of the selections. And, you know, they might run to the deck center and, and help pull some things. And I struggle right. with that because I see some of these large firms and how they've scaled their businesses. And like you said, they've become Mm -hmm. these amazing mentors and have had wonderful talents come through their doors. But I just don't know how to reconcile that necessarily with my personality. And I don't know that I want to be quite that big, Mm -hmm. but I also don't want the people on my team to feel creatively stifled either. So it's a struggle to find the balance. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And, and, you know, part of that is that when they do find their feet, they're probably going to leave you because that's, they should, because, you know, they should do their own thing. So yeah, it is, it is a a struggle for sure. Totally. So is your husband in a similar business? Um, It's related. Yeah. He does, uh, he does commercial uh, real estate developments. So, um, you know, we have a builder we typically use and um, project managers and stuff um, when we're building stuff. And so, um, yeah, it's related. So it works well. That's so nice. (laughs) Have you gotten to work on any projects together? Yeah. um, In the building that we are in is a project that we um, uh, worked on together and built. And uh, uh, so it just got finished um, a few months ago and everybody moved in and it's sort of retail on uh, Maine and uh, like offices on the next uh, it's four floors and we're on the very top floor. That's great. Yeah. Have you been able to spend much time in your office? Well, we like moved in for a few weeks and then, you know, the lockdown hit. So then we had to move everything back into the house, right? Uh, which is easy for me because I had always worked out of the third floor of my house. And um, we were here for the lockdown, but we moved back into the offices. Um, gosh, it's been over a month now. Oh, wow. That's mm-hmm. great. That's yeah. so nice. Yeah, I miss being able to go into our office every day. As nice as it is having a, a decent setup, a work from home setup here. Mm-hmm. I do miss the energy of being in the office and just having everything at my fingertips. Yes. Yes. Um, and just getting dressed and in the morning and stuff is, is nice. It just sets your day. Definitely. So you mentioned that you guys built this building that you're currently in for your offices. Mm -hmm. Do you do a lot of new construction projects in your firm? Um, So again, because I can't take on many, many projects all at once, I I do tend to choose the projects that are new build because Mm -hmm. I love being able to, you know, have control of the entire, um, all aspects of the interior so that I, you know, it's, it's less dependent on just the furnishings. Um, I can determine, you know, what the fireplace looks like, what the ceiling details, like every single detail is then um, part of a, 
a bigger vision and it's just more cohesive at the end and more rewarding for me personally when I can do that. Also, I'm obsessed with designing kitchens. So that's like my absolute favorite thing to do. Well, it shows because your kitchens are beautiful. The details that you put into your kitchens are out of this world. In fact, I'm thinking of that insane waterfall marble island that you did. It was like in a blonde oak um, kitchen with like subway tile, but it had this really insane um, island. And then I think a marble ranch hood as well. It was so beautiful. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, those were awesome clients. They're fantastic. And that makes a really, really big difference. For sure. It makes all the difference. Mm-hmm. Nam, what are some of your indispensable design elements? Indispensable design elements? Um, you know, I am just drawn to natural materials, mostly because I feel like they age in a much more timeless way. Um, so always hardwood floors, um, real stone. Um, and so I'm forever talking my clients into that um, because they're, as North Americans, we're always worried about wear and tear. Yes. But that is the beauty of stone is when it starts to pick up all these gorgeous marks and um, it feels like a home that's been loved. So I was find I have to have that conversation with my clients uh, about the value of, of um, Patina. materials. Yeah. <laughs> do you, do, how do you end up convincing someone who is really hell bent on the maintenance level of marble or natural stone? Because like you, I agree. I think there's nothing that can come close to the beauty of natural stone. And there are mm-hmm. lots of, you know, alternatives out there nowadays, and they all have all of their positive attributes and qualities, but it's really hard to come up against the beauty of natural stone and the veining in these alternatives is never the same. Um, mm-hmm. Even though it's come a long ways, like it's it much certainly more convincing has. now. Um, you know, one of the things that usually will convince them is if you go into a mall, for instance, and you look at whatever ceramic tile they have on the floors, you can usually easily guess what year that mall was built or when that tile was um, was installed. Mm -hmm. Um, But if it's natural stone, like if you go into an old hotel in Europe and it's natural stone, you you can't tell how old it is. It just looks right and timeless and... um, and the wear and tear looks good. Like wear and tear on unnatural material looks like, oh, that should be fixed or it's, it's old, but not in a good way. Wear and tear on natural stone just looks warm and patinaed and um, luxurious to me. It's so true. Is there a rule in design that you absolutely live by? Uh, a rule in design? Hmm. Um... You know, I don't think so because I I will often see uh, cases where what I thought was wrong and all of a sudden the opposite looks really fresh to the eye. So Mm -hmm. I think like fashion, you have to reevaluate once in a while all of your rules that you've been following because all of a sudden those rules might just look dated so in anything artistic, I think you always have to reevaluate. 
what you're taking for granted and, and doing again and again. I think that's important to stay fresh. Absolutely. Well, speaking of, where do you turn for inspiration? Ah, uh, gosh. Um, well, it used to be travel when we could do that. Um, and I love going into stores where there's such a strong vision and it's carried out through everything. Um, I get a lot of inspiration and you could touch and feel. Um, hotels I love. Um, and obviously there's, there's so much inspiration these days. Uh, Instagram, Pinterest, there's, there's no shortage of it at all. Uh, almost the opposite problem happens now um, for both, I think, designers and for clients, because there is such an onslaught of imagery that comes out that, um, especially for clients who are like, you know, spending, making a big investment, they're constantly looking at it and going, oh my gosh, am I making the right decision? What about this? What about this? And it's like never ending. But I think at some point you have to um, rely on the vision that you've cultivated for your project and then once the project starts to inform itself and you're not reliant on other inspirations and pictures, then you know you're on the right track. Um, so inspiration these days, getting it is not a problem. I think knowing when to sort of stop <laughs> looking yeah. at it is, is more critical now. It's so important because it is so easy to get... Um, bogged down almost by an onslaught of inspiration or imagery because we're being fed these images constantly, whether it's through Instagram or Pinterest or, um, you know, in a more traditional way through magazines and books, we have all of these things at our fingertips. Mm -hmm. And I do find very often when clients come to us, they often say the same thing. I know what I like, or I like a lot of different things. I just don't know how to put it all together. And mm -hmm. so they tend to feel overwhelmed by it, the different yes. things that they're seeing. And it you, is overwhelming. It you, is. You Absolutely. do have to know when to put the, maybe the phone aside and stop working <laughs> um, and how to be an editor. Also, I think that part yes. of our job as a designer is to be a fierce editor and to know when enough is enough and when to sort of, you, you don't need to gild the lily. There's no need to exactly. keep going or. Um, and, and you need to, you need to respect what it is you're working with, the site conditions, the architectural yes. conditions, uh, the budget conditions and, and bring out the best in that scenario, uh, which isn't going to be applicable to every Pinterest pin that you've put up. Um, it, it, it is overwhelming and it's, important to step away from that sometimes for sure. It's so, so true. So where do you like to begin your design process at the on, onset of a project? Where do you start? Do you typically begin with the floor plan fabrics? What is your impetus? Um, well, like I just said, I think the, the site is important. Mm -hmm. Obviously the lifestyle of the clients, very critical, um, the architecture. And then given those things, what is unique about it? What can I bring out? What is special here um, that um, is unique to, to these clients? Um, so you're trying to bring that out. And then how can you, uh, all of the moves should now, if you have an idea, then everything, all the moves should enhance that idea. Um, and bring it to the forefront. So I would say it's about ideally having an idea, um, having a mood, uh, a tone set 
um, and then working towards really emphasizing that. Does that make sense? Yes. <laughs> but sometimes, honestly, it is one Pinterest pin. So <laughs> <laughs> that says it all. So um, it, I guess it varies. Yeah. Um, yeah, it definitely varies. I mean, sometimes you can walk into a house if it's not a new construction and mm-hmm. you sort of envision it all coming to life the moment you step into it because yes. the architecture of the house dictates so much of what it needs or wants to be. Yes. But other times, like you said, it may be you come across a rug or a textile or a painting or something that becomes the inspiration for the jumping off point, if, I, if you will, for yes. what the house could be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And a lot of interesting things happen in the collaboration that happens between you and the client. Um, obviously, they've hired you because they uh, can relate to your vision. Mm-hmm. Um, but for instance, that kitchen that you had mentioned with the, the marble island, um, my natural instinct was to put, you know, shelving right beside the hood fan on either side because we had space. And my client was like, no, I hate open shelves. I do not want to deal with them. I don't like the clutter. And at first I was like, but that would look so great there. But in the end, that made her kitchen more uniquely her. And it was cleaner and more unlike other kitchens that I had done. Um, so sometimes what seems like, oh, that's a challenge not to do that is better and will create something that you might not have done on your own. How collaborative are you with your clients? What does that experience look like? It really depends on the client. Some clients want to be more heavily involved than others. Um, but and, and so it is easier if the clients want to be less involved. Um, and then I can just sort of look after all the details and make sure they're consistent and cohesive. But uh, like I said, I do think that it brings out more creativity if the clients are more involved because they'll set challenges for me that I have to meet um, while also trying to meet my own, you know, aesthetic um, balances that I want to achieve. So on the good days, I would say it brings out the best of me. On the bad days, I'll be like, oh, it's just so difficult. But (laughs) Can, Can you tell us about a time that things didn't go according to plan and how you handled it? Hmm. I would, I would say that, oh gosh, on every single job, there's a point where I think, oh, this is so hard. Um, and then somehow you manage to, to resolve it, um, you know, I, as a team, as a group, because you're always working with a lot of tradespeople, builders, the client. Um, and then in the end, you're happy with it. So think maybe the secret to my happiness is that I, I can't really recall those <laughs> times. I just do know that they exist with every project, but like childbirth, you kind of forget the pain of, of yeah. it. You move you, on. You have to block it and move you on do. to the next project. <laughs> exactly. That's so funny, but it's true. And it's important, you know, to, to realize that and talk about it. You know, we can have the most solid plan in the world and all of the processes in place, but things are inevitably going to happen because unfortunately as type A, as we might be, it isn't all in our hands. And by the time a piece makes it to a client's home, it's traveled through so many other channels where things could go wrong and they often do. 
yeah, like you've, you know, you've designed the whole thing around one fabric <laughs> and then that fabric is like discontinued or um, you plan for this incredible fireplace and now there's ductwork that is going right through your living room just so that it works. And so, yeah, there's, there's definitely lots of challenges. Yeah. I think it's all in how you handle it and sort of work around that. And I do think there's something to be said about as, as wonderful of a plan as you might have in a fully executed vision to leave a tiny bit of room for happenstance, because oftentimes, as I'm sure you've noticed, once you make it to the installation, even though your furniture plan calls for a chair to be on the left side of the room, you might decide Mm -hmm. once you're installing that it looks perfectly or so much better um, on the right side of the room or whatever, you know, sort of move things around. Um, Absolutely. It's not a science. It's, it's absolutely an art. And sometimes it takes being there to, yeah. And just having that willingness to be open about it. It's so true. What do you think it ultimately takes to be successful in the design field? Oh gosh, I wish I knew Paloma. I wish I knew. I mean, <laughs> it's a, you know, it's just a challenge every day, <laughs> but I, I do feel like um, it's important to always come back to making it personal and small. Um, I think that that's what brought me some initial success is just because it's just me with pen and paper and tinkering, figuring out details. And you have to keep that sense of intimacy with the work in order for it to have any meaning to anyone else. Um, I think if it becomes too much of a formula where you you get accustomed to just churning stuff out, then you lose that that sense of like, I, I really want to figure out this detail and how this comes together. Um, so I've been reminding myself of that uh, a lot is that not to lose that, that sense of intimacy with your work and smallness. And I think that's something that's just come out of this whole quarantine situation where we've all had to slow down and, and re- really reconsider everything that we're doing. Definitely. I can't tell you how many people I've spoken with for the podcast who have said that they regret having just built a huge office or maybe expanding their team because they're realizing how well everyone can operate and how um, how industrious and productive everyone has been, even with all of the limitations we've had to face during the pandemic, working from home and relying on conference calls and Zoom, Zoom video conferences mm-hmm. and all of that. Um, so I do think there's something to be said about, you know, keeping it lean and mean as you have. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I adapted well to the quarantine, I suppose, in that regard. Yeah. So how do you determine if you're purposely keeping everything small because you want to be really involved one-on-one with your clients and you don't want to do too much at one time, how do you determine which projects you say yes to? Because I would assume that there are a lot of things that come your way because you're obviously very successful and um, one of the more well-known interior designers in Canada and in North America. So surely you can't say yes to everything. How do you determine which projects are a fit for you? Um, that's a very good question. It's, uh, you know, if it's a project that I can really sink my teeth into, like if it's a new build and I have more control over the project, that's very attractive to me. 
um, if it's um, honestly, if a, a client comes to me with a Pinterest board that just, you know, lights my fire and it's like, oh, I love that. Yes, I'm all over it. Um, that will <laughs> completely win me over. Like just if we have, you know, a lot in common aesthetically. Um, and um, so it's as simple as that, I would say. It's just a, a, like a meteor project. And um, if, if just the client and I have a lot in common, that helps with the process for sure. That's so great and important because it is typically a long relationship and a very intimate one in that yes. you're designing, you know, the most important space for people and you're around their families and their children, you're in their home, you're executing this important vision for them, you're privy to finances and all of those things. So I think there has to be a real implied level of trust that goes both ways because the Absolutely. client then also has to entrust you to bring that vision to life and not sort of dip I don't know it's hard to describe but I feel like it's so nice to have a client that's collaborative and is involved and has taste in a vision yes but also knows when to let go and let you do your thing yes oops apologize for that that's um Yes, that is so, so critical. And um, it's a big responsibility. You're creating, you know, a backdrop to all of their family's memories. It's, it's a big responsibility and it's, it's a huge investment for families. Um, so uh, it does help if you just get along as, as people for sure. And that trust can, can be cultivated. Yeah, it really makes all the difference. Mm -hmm. Nam, is there anything that people might be surprised to learn about you? Um, gosh, I don't know. Other than that, I'm a one woman show. Probably, probably not. Uh yeah, I guess that's pretty really surprising. <laughs> I was, I was very surprised to hear that because I thought for sure you had a big team helping you execute all of that beautiful work. Well, some days I really wish I did, honestly. Um, yeah, I, do, I think I'm a pretty open book. I don't think there's any real surprises. <laughs> so you touched on earlier about, um, how you you outsource some of the work that needs to be done like drafting mm -hmm. and those sorts of things I think that's maybe something important to touch on considering the fact that we're still in this pandemic and unfortunately not everyone has been so lucky as to keep all of their projects moving forward and they may be thinking about how to keep their business afloat um, right. in, in the future you know not everybody can have those operations in-house what are mm -hmm. some of the things that you um, outsource and how do you typically go about that? Um, well, I do all of my drawings myself. So all of my interior drawings, I, elevations and every floor plans, everything I do myself. Mm -hmm. um, I have started using uh, SketchUp maybe two, three years ago now. Um, and I'm getting better at it. Um, but sometimes if it's an exterior rendering, I will I will outsource that because I'm just not good at that. Um, and AutoCAD, um, I will outsource that as well. Um, it's just about sort of having um, people that you trust sort of uh, on your contact sheet and, and, and just time and working with them. <laughs> 
Um, but often, again, because I'm a control freak, I will be sitting beside the technician and just saying, oh, can you move that line up? Like, you know, two inches, can you move it over there? <laughs> like, I'm just right there. So I really ought to just learn AutoCAD, honestly. <laughs> That's so funny, but it's so true. And I think that that's an important reminder um, that, you know, it can be so tempting to see people who are running these big firms and have all of these different positions on staff, but it's not necessary, obviously, if you can do what you're doing to such a high degree and produce such beautiful work to hear that someone like yourself really keeps it purposely tight and small, I think is a really wonderful reminder, especially right now, because there are so many uncertainties that you Mm -hmm. can run a great business without having to take on all of that overhead. Yes, but you do need to, you know, you do need to put in the work. Like it, Mm -hmm. it is nice. It, it wasn't easy to sit down and learn SketchUp. No, you know, (laughs) it's not it, but you do have to have those tools on your belt in order to communicate um, your vision. So like anything, there's hard work to be done and you just have to get through it so that it becomes easier like a, like a pencil is. Um, There's no way around it. You just have to sit down and sort of go through it and learn it. Absolutely. Well, nothing worth having comes easily. That's (laughs) sadly. Yeah. That is so true. So true. (laughs) (laughs) If you could go back in time, is there a piece of advice that you would give your younger self? Oh gosh, um, probably not to be so serious all the time and just to take more risks while you're young because you have nothing to lose. You don't um, have any responsibilities. Um, I, I feel like the younger generation now really does that um, with all of these social platforms. I really see that's the big difference is that um, young people feel completely comfortable sort of putting their, their vision and their ideas out there um, so happily and with so much confidence. I really admire that in that generation. Do you see that in your children? Um, you know, I, I do. They're, they seem very relaxed about all of these social media platforms in a way that I just couldn't be um but they're very relaxed in sharing everything their entire lives (laughs) how old are they now um they are 18 and 16 oh my goodness yeah that's unbelievable I can't believe that gosh I'm (laughs) fine I can't believe it either because I've seen them on Instagram and then you know your various features over the years um that you know when your house has been featured and I feel like they were just I don't know maybe 10 and 12 to, so it's yeah, crazy they're it young adults so quickly and um they don't appear on my Instagram anymore because they don't allow it they're just like mm. there's no way you're putting us on your Instagram anymore so that's over um yeah it goes so so quickly <laughs> how do you balance running your own business and being a mother? Well, for many years, it was sort of like, what can I fit in between dropping the kids off at school and picking them up at the end of the day was how my business was defined. And so I I feel like that's a big reason why it is so lean and mean and versatile and flexible because it had to be, Um, you know, and I would work late at night if I had to, but 
I love the flexibility. That to me um, is worth not having a big company. Yeah, that's so true. And I've heard many girlfriends who have children say something similar in that design affords a, a mother, a woman, so mm-hmm. much flexibility when you have your own business and you're not working for someone else, you really are in control of how much you choose to take on. And that can be really helpful in those formative years when your children are younger and depend on you more than, you know, when they're teenagers and are sort of doing their own thing and have yes. busy schedules of their own. Yeah. And that's a reality for, for moms, um, more so than for fathers. So yeah, design is, is a great, uh, is great in its flexibility for sure. Absolutely. Well, as you know, obviously we're recording this conversation in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. Who could have predicted this? I mean, so completely crazy. I mean, this year, what is this year? It's been 2020 has been one for the books, literally so many crazy things have happened. It's nuts. What will you take forward with you as a lesson that you've learned during this time? I think I'm still trying to figure that out, honestly, but it certainly has slowed us all down and made us sort of figure out our priorities and what we want our lives to look like um, going forward. Um, And it has made me think about trying to make everything more personal and slower. Um, and it, it's taken something like this to force me to sort of slow down. And now I can't even remember what I was rushing around all that time doing because it's been so long. Um, it's, it's just such an interesting time. Um, I think we're all feeling more vulnerable um, given the economy and, and everything else. And I hope that the vulnerability doesn't make us more fearful, but instead it makes us more compassionate and empathetic. And I have hope because, you know, with these movements like Black Lives Matter, I'm seeing that empathy, I'm seeing that connection. And I hope there's more positivity that comes out of this. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. So you mentioned earlier that you love to travel. And that's one of the things that I really enjoy about your Instagram is when you share snaps from your various trips, because you always seem to find the most beautiful, inspiring places. Once we're able to travel again, where would you most like to go? Oh, wow. Um, gosh, almost anywhere. Uh, <laughs> I've never been to Greece, so I would absolutely love to go to Greece. But we were just looking at these unbelievable um, discounts on flights to Europe right now. And we're like, kind of would be a great time to go to Europe because it's so devoid of crowds. Um, the Louvre just opened up and I saw on TV and all the Parisians are saying, well, this is unbelievable. You can actually just take your time and there are no crowds and you can enjoy the art. So um, I'm anxious to get back to Europe, especially if there are no crowds. Yeah, I am too. I guess you can go because you're in Canada, but we can't. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> They're I'm not sorry. letting us in. <laughs> oh, no. I don't want to rub that in. No, that. no. Good for you. One more reason to love Canada. <laughs> So, Nam, as we wrap this up, I'll ask you one last question. What is currently giving you hope in the world of design or otherwise? Um, I think 
like I said, this, this epidemic is bringing us to a place where we have to be more connected if we're going to get through this in a positive way. Um, we have to work together. We have to be more compassionate and empathetic. So I hope that that's going to be a positive change um, because it's the world's become so divisive and tribal as of late. And uh, I hope that this is a, a new direction um, in the future. And that's good for everything, including design. <laughs> I, I agree with you. I feel like even though it's been a trying time and a very dark time mm-hmm. uh, at various moments, you do see in, in those times the beauty of humanity. People have shown, you know, the kindness um, that really exists at the core of humanity for as many bad eggs as there might be out there or, you know, the negative negative things that are happening I feel like there's just as much beauty and um, camaraderie coming out of this which is a really beautiful thing to behold it is it is when things are tough uh, kindness is the only thing that really makes sense so that's right it's the only answer well ma'am I've loved speaking with you today and getting to know more about you and I hope that once all of this is behind us, hopefully our paths will cross in person soon. I would soon. love that. I would love that. Yes. I will have to come down to Houston. Yes. <laughs> Please do. Well, take good awesome. care, Nam, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much, Paloma. It's been a pleasure. Okay. Likewise. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was interior designer Nam Dang Mitchell. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Be sure to visit us online at thestylefilespodcast.com where you can find more episodes featuring inspiring conversations with creatives. You can listen directly on our website or subscribe via Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying The Style Files, please consider leaving us a positive rating or review. It will only take a few seconds of your time and it will make a big difference for us. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.